When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back. This is episode 207. Would you use vanilla JavaScript? That is no framework, no React, no Vue, no Svelte, no whatever else is out there. Would you use that? Would you use vanilla JavaScript and no framework on a project? It's a big question. Mike's asked it on Twitter. Got some half-decent response on there and people kind of talking about it. So we thought it would be something that we should cover in today's episode because Mike and I have very differing opinions on this. Based upon our experience, literally, like, I haven't used frameworks too much, so, like, literal seniority, I guess you could say, on the thing. But at the same time, different ways of building things. And even if Mike and I had the same skill sets, exactly, which we do not, obviously, but if we did, we would build things differently because we're different people. So we want to talk about this question. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon Leave a reviewer rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And Mike, you have a Twitter reference here with a link, which will probably be in our show notes. So why don't you tell the people how this topic came to be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like I asked this question on Twitter. It's going to be one of those episodes where it's going to be a lot of discussion between Matt and I. So just warning about that. Uh, but it was something that I was wondering because I think maybe even a few years ago, I had a different answer to this question, but now I am very much entrenched in one of the answers. I'm not going to spoil which one yet. Uh, I'm guessing some of you know, uh, but essentially a lot of today's modern JavaScript or modern frameworks in general for the front end are built with vanilla JavaScript, which means technically you can do anything that a framework can do in pure JavaScript, right? Like anything that any sort of functionality that was written for a framework can be rewritten by you, maybe in a simpler way for a specific function in JavaScript. So why would you ever even potentially use a convoluted, potentially convoluted, you know, maybe bloated, slow, uh, questionable future framework, right? Like if a, you don't even know if a framework is going to be around in 10 years, but you for sure know that JavaScript is going to be around in 10 years. So there is a weird, it's a weird thing, but there are a ton of reasons. Like I've been using frameworks for on and off for about five to seven years now. Uh, and I've grown accustomed to them to a certain degree, I would say. And I, I like a lot of what they offer. So in my opinion, like there's just a lot, there's so much that they bring to the table <laughs> that a lot of the trade-offs that I just mentioned, potentially slow, bloated, all that stuff are worth it. 99% of the time. I know that's a great, that's a crazy statement. And some people will attack me. And again, there will be a reference tweet in the show notes where you can go to the at HTML everything account where we posted this. And there's a great discussion in there, like a fantastic discussion. There's no one attacking each other, which I really like 
first of all, because a lot of, t- a lot of times you ask whatever question, even if it's a tech question, people are just extremely, extremely angry. Yeah, I don't uh, like that video game, actually. And you know what? I'm flipping my table over. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't like frameworks, so I'm just going to freaking flip this table over and you suck. No, none of that, at least for right now. Uh, most people are just kind of discussing it and it's a, it's, it's not split down the middle, I would say, but there's a lot of good arguments from both sides and a lot of good, not even arguments. It's just a lot of good, like, Hey, you know what? I, I use Vanilla JavaScript and there's a lot of, Hey, I've been using frameworks for a long time, so I'm just better at it. And therefore I would use a framework even for a simple project. So like, it's cool that there's still this kind of middle ground. There's a lot of people that are on both sides. And uh, it's really interesting to me. It's it's just I feel like it's going to make a great discussion because I, I I know Matt's going to have a pretty different answer. I'm going to flip most, my table. Yeah, you might flip your table. You might like you might call me an idiot or whatever. And that's fine. But but like you're going to have a different perspective on this because you don't use frameworks. And I think a lot of people out there maybe still don't use frameworks either. Like I think there is a a, a good. I don't know if it's a minority yet or not or whatever, but there is a section, a group of developers out there that still prefer just the vanilla JavaScript or maybe even just jQuery. I, a lot of people are, are like dumping vanilla JavaScript and jQuery together, grouping them together. I don't know how I feel about that because jQuery technically brings a lot to the table. But having said that, a lot of what jQuery used to do is now kind of native in vanilla JavaScript. So like, do we count uh, – l- let me ask you this, Matt, right now. Do you count jQuery as a framework? I don't – or I do count it as a framework, but I do understand the perspective of looping it with JavaScript purely – not really from a technical perspective. I would say if I were to, like, really break it down, J- jQuery is an add-on effectively to JavaScript and therefore is a framework by that nature. But in terms of the way it functions, it it just feels different. It feels like an expansion pack, if you will, to JavaScript. It doesn't feel like a Svelte or something where it you have to sort of learn that particular syntax and you're very in the, the Svelte world or you're very in the view world and routing and all this stuff. With jQuery... You use J uh, like the way I used jQuery back in the day was I used jQuery where wherever the jQuery syntax was convenient. And then I just didn't use jQuery even as soon as on the very next line. If I knew the vanilla JavaScript way of doing it, I don't know if that's bad practice because it's technically. Not consistent, but. That's I can see people looping the two in. Especially when, if you're building, and, I'll, and this is just really brief, I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but if you're building out a vanilla project and then you suddenly want just a little bit of an extensibility thing or a little bit of, an, of, of a plugin, so you're not going to pull in a whole framework per se, but you're going to use a plugin for um, like a Lightbox. A lot of the Lightbox plugins will use jQuery. So they're prob- So I would say that just in terms of the feel of jQuery, it feels almost synonymous because most projects will have that one or two little thing in there, that little plugin that they use. And a lot of them just use jQuery. So it just feels really natural. Owl Carousel, for example, like like literally just Lightbox by Lakesh Dakar or something, I believe on YouTube or on Google is the one I use all the time. Stuff like that. 
the, the, a lot of those type of things that you just kind of tack on really quick without pulling in a whole Svelte or view or react or something will have jQuery. So it just feels synonymous with it. Yeah. I mean, okay. Let's, let's say that it is grouped together. Like you can say that, uh, jQuery is kind of part or an extension of vanilla JavaScript. Let's just call it that. Obviously differing opinions, all that. Like th- this is not the definition or anything, but in terms of this, um, in terms I of this conversation, like we'll consider yeah. that, right? Yeah. I think, I think one of the major differentiators I'm going to say is the fact that you don't have to set up like the webpack or the vit, uh, it, you know, with the dev server and the pack and the builder and the package managers and all that, right? Like you add jQuery, it's all pretty straightforward and it, it's good to go. You're not, you're um, not going into an ecosystem is, is more or less what it feels like. Yeah. It feels like when you go into like a Svelte or something, even they're saying, Hey, use NPM to install this and stuff like that. And then you're getting into it, right? You're installing node, you're installing, uh, you know, your CMD tools. In my case, cause I'm a windows, you're installing your CMD tools and this and that and the other thing. And you're like getting NPM going and, whatever else your project requires and you're like really diving in. Whereas if you have a vanilla, if you have a vanilla project and you really don't want to code something in in the vanilla way, Ajax used to be one of the common ones and you really want to code it with the jQuery, you can literally just call even on the remote jQuery data store to pull in, to pull jQuery into your project and you can just start using jQuery. You don't need to, you don't need to really install anything short of that. And yes, I realize that people want to have it local, this and that. But in terms of just getting it working, it's really not that hard at all. Yeah, I feel like you can open up a text file, call it an, a .html file and throw everything in there, including your jQuery and CDN reference and stuff like that. And and you can have a, like a full JavaScript working little web app without having to build anything, without having to install anything, without having any third-party software installed like you don't need no compiling need yeah no compiling i think that's that's the line that i'm going to draw for the most part where like framework would be you need the package management you need the uh compiling you need the um all that all the the, the the dev server all that stuff like you need you need some sort of way of compiling your code so that the browser can read it whereas a static site it's just a file uh, and that's fine. I think that's a good definition. And uh, I think a lot of people were referencing that as well in that post. So uh, it, it should work for this. So again, overhead, right? Like, like I just mentioned with the, with the framework, like you, you need to know how to use the package managers you need, or at least how to inst- install basic packages. You need to know the basics of all these things, how to run the dev server, why you need a dev server, the live reloading, re, uh, reloading aspect of it. Like there's a lot, there's a few different things down the line. Like it's not just something that you all of a sudden wake up and know. This is stuff that you have to learn. And this is stuff that you have to maintain. Like this stuff doesn't go away. Uh, so it is, it is a part of the overhead. It is a part of the, like the questionable, like would you really spin up that kind of infrastructure for a simple website or a simple web app? when you can do it with vanilla JS. And I just want to kind of dive into the situations where you would need a JavaScript framework or where you, when it would be nice to have like a, why use a JavaScript framework section, right? So first thing, first things first, a lot of what you're going to be doing is going to be interacting with data, third-party APIs, your own APIs, your own CMSs. Data fetching is very much built into a lot of these frameworks. 
a lot of their fetching infrastructure, whether it be, you know, asynchronous fetching on the server or something like a, a Nox J, a Next.js or Nuxt or SvelteKit or just client-side fetching, all of that is there are patterns you can follow. There are tools built directly for that. There are tools built so that you can fetch data, have a loading indicator show up, all built in. Then as soon as the data is already fetched, you can dis- like make the loading indicator disappear and then have your content be displayed in a certain way inside of your application based on the context of where that data is being pulled into, right? Like that data can be present in your client-side runtime or it can be present in the server-side runtime. All of that is kind of managed by these frameworks. And it gives you a lot of the tools that are required to be able to do that. So instead of having to build a tool that like fetches the data and then puts it in a variable and then makes that variable, like passes that variable to another function. And then that function will then parse that variable to a certain degree and then store that in some sort of another global variable that you have to manage yourself. And then another function will take that variable those variables and like loop over them custom one by one and being like, okay, now I see that this variable is a data variable. So maybe I can put that in a function that can do that will need, need to be rendered on the screen. And then you're starting to get into document.create elements and, and stuff like that. Like you're starting to get into DOM manipulation. Those steps that I just outlined will be, I want I, probably hundreds of lines of code. Maybe a little bit less if you're a very good developer, uh, but it could be a significant amount of code. With a JavaScript framework, you're talking, you know, if it's a very simple fetch, could be five lines of code, 10 lines of code to get the data, and all that data is already available in the UI. You can just write HTML around it. It's very difficult to explain without actually doing it. So I'm sorry for the people that haven't used JavaScript frameworks, but just know that it's meant to simplify the stuff that we do on a consistent basis. I have an Data example fetching. that might help sure. if that if that helps. So like, for example, I don't know if this is necessarily data fetching per se. Maybe it would be more the second data reactivity. But the thing that uh, that always comes to my mind is in Svelte when I was learning very briefly to use it was having the ability to control um, in a form or wherever, really having like a like a, a plus and like a negative button and being able to click on the plus to raise a value of something or pressing a negative and having that happen all in the one file. I wasn't jumping back and forth between an HTML file uh, you know, a CSS to get it styled probably once, but then, you know, jumping between largely the HTML and the, the JavaScript, trying to get them to work together and have different hooks and, oh, I need another div here and I need to have another thing with an ID. Um, that might be more data reactivity than data fetching. But to me, that's always where sort of the very basic idea of a framework comes from, where I'm doing a lot of that sort of stuff right in the one file. I'm not, I'm largely, I'm not leaving that file very often. A lot of the times you don't even need to leave like the line of code, like to do what you just described, a plus minus, you can do that almost in one line inside the HTML if you wanted to in certain frameworks, right? So like having, having the ability to put, attach your logic directly to the element that it applies to. Some people don't like that separation of concerns. Sure. But in terms of readability and in terms of maintainability, 
that's awesome. 10 years later, you're going to come, you can come back to that project and be like, what does this button do? Oh yeah. Literally on the button is the, is the function that it's performing. Like if it's a plus one to a, to a variable, right? That's a great way to maintain your code. So like th- those patterns can be used if you're using them not too in depth. Like you don't want to put like a, you know, 50 lines of code in your HTML, but if it's a one liner, that's a pattern you can follow. Stuff like that, like Matt made a really good point there. Data reactivity is a serious concern when you're talking JavaScript. It's something you have to account for on many different levels. There has to be an event listener, right? So anytime you click a button, there has to be an event listener on that button. Well, what happens if uh, you leave that page, that event listener, or you leave, or that component gets destroyed? That event listener needs to be destroyed, correct? So that's another part of it, because otherwise it's going to take up memory and et cetera, et cetera. Like what happens when that button is clicked? You have to run a function. So you have to write a separate function. You have to attach that function to the event listener. And then what happens on the UI? Now you have to, you know, find the the child node element. You have to change its inner HTML or its data or its whatever attributes you're setting. You have to change the value that is being displayed. All these steps that I'm just describing that Matt just talked about are different steps you have to custom write in in JavaScript. Well, let me ask you something there. So largely these frameworks are are effectively a single page that you make multiple pages in terms of the visual, like it looks like you're going to multiple web pages, but not always, but frequently it's one page. So you mentioned something there where you're destroying uh, an event listener. You don't really need to do that. And I'm asking to be clear, you don't really need to do that with vanilla, right? Because you're going oftentimes to an entirely other HTML page. And so then a different script in general, unless you call it for whatever reason. But if we're talking um, static sites, like regular business card websites, you're 100% right. But we're talking like, you know, what if happens if you want to make a to do app in vanilla JavaScript? Right. Okay. You're, you're destroying like in vanilla JavaScript, you're going to have to figure out how to destroy that little to do when someone clicks delete. I got you. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, you're right in the sense that like in a static website, that's not a concern because there's, there is no data reactivity there, right? Like there, there is nothing you really need to worry about in terms of data reactivity. So you're not going to worry about event listeners as much. Like there might be a few little buttons here and there, but overall it's not going to be a heavy data driven website. No, it's generally going to not. be, yeah, it's going to be a, you know, uh, a site that's, letting people find their local body shop. So that's, that's kind of like the distinction there is like, yes, you can do it in vanilla JavaScript data reactivity. Absolutely. But again, it's a many, it's a multi-step process. And then there's like little edge cases that you have to figure out again, the destroy function. Next thing here is established communities. So there is obviously a lot of help forms and stuff around vanilla JavaScript. Vanilla JavaScript is huge and it's being used for everything. Um, but these, re- these communities around these uh, frameworks like React and Svelte and Vue, they all, again, are designed to make this stuff easier. And the communities themselves work towards that too, right? So a lot of content. So there's tons and tons of content about building a, for instance, an e-commerce site with React as the front end. Tons of content around it, whether it be help articles, whether it be blog posts, whether it be videos, whether it be courses. There's, there's 
tons of content. Whereas if you look at vanilla JavaScript, there is content around that for sure, but it's also very diverse in the sense that, <laughs> um, at least for me, for me, like the minimal, the minimal looking that I did, a lot of the content there is first of all, a little bit outdated. So building like an e-commerce site in pure vanilla JavaScript, the stuff that I found was from a, a, a little while ago, maybe five years, six years ago. And there's a very good reason for that is because these frameworks came along, dominated the sphere and made it easier to do that stuff, right? So even though there are still for sure people using pure vanilla for complex tasks, usually they're doing it their way. They're doing it in a way that works for them. They're doing it in a way that they've done over the last 10 years. They have hundreds of helper functions that they've written in the past before, right? That help them do the stuff that frameworks do. And they're doing it that way. It's not necessarily going to help you to learn exactly how they're doing it because some of the stuff that they're doing is very proprietary to their way of thinking. It's very proprietary to their workflow. Whereas with the framework, this is another kind of positive of a framework and another reason why people choose them is there structure to these things. There's a way to do something. Now, obviously, there's ways around that. There's like third-party libraries that you can bring in that change the structure a little bit here and there. And depending on the framework, especially like React is very much unopinionated. So you can do stuff in React many different ways and you can use many different libraries. But even with that, the most there are the most popular libraries. There are the most popular workflows. There's just an easier way to find this, you know, the the method of doing something. There's an easier way to find it, whether it be an official documentation or a third-party documentation, right? With Svelte, it's a little bit easier because it's a little bit more all-in-one included. With Vue, it's the same thing. So like there are trade-offs between the frameworks. We're not talking about those too much right now. It's just in general. But regardless, the idea that you have a set framework and a set infrastructure you're working in is at one point limiting, but on the other point, it's good because now you know that your developer is probably going to do it this way. And that means you can bring on another developer that has done it before and bring on a team of developers working in the same framework. And they're probably going to accomplish the task in a similar way. They're going to be able to help each other. Whereas with vanilla JavaScript, you would have to have those developers sit down together for weeks or months and figure out the structure that they're going to be using. Because it's all custom. Like you can do whatever you want with a Node JavaScript. There's very, it's very open-ended. So you need to architect the system in vanilla JavaScript. Whereas with a framework, it's been mostly architected for you. There it's are sort patterns of the, you can follow. It's sort of like follow. a template. Like a lot of the stuff is templated for you. It's sort of, if you're using like a web flow or like any sort of page builder or something, uh, usually there'll be a, a, a carousel or a slider just module that you can use. It's sort of, if you think about that in, in terms of code, where commonly people will add numbers, commonly people will subtract numbers, commonly people will do all these other different computations and a framework will make that doable in one command or one line or a few lines rather than a whole architected, you know, backend and all the rest of it. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's a decent way of putting it. It's like having little components, little reusable components from a template that you can use wherever you want, but they're very structured. Like this is how they're built. You just need to call them. Exactly. 
So it's a, that's a big part of it. In my opinion, like when a company chooses a framework and I've been part of this decision-making process. So this is coming from a, a place of knowing that this is talked about in the industry. They're coming at it from like, okay, yes, it's, there is some limitations. Here's the limitations. They, they go, they go down a list, but will it be easier to hire people? Usually yes. Will it be easier to maintain? Usually yes. Will it be faster to develop on? Usually yes. I mean, those, those are three big things because again, faster means more money. Maintain means less, less have, le- spending less on, uh, future development costs, right? Hiring is a lot, a really important part of this because right now, the, again, the developer industry is very much looking for experienced developers all the time because people are getting poached, people are leaving. So when you're creating a project or when you're creating a company around development, you have to think about the maintainability of your code and about the constant revolving door of developers. You can't have a single-minded focus of like, okay, I'm going to have an architect that's going to stay with the company from start to finish and be able to, you know, get this product out the door. It's not going to happen. Like, it might, I mean, I don't want to say it's not going to happen. It probably won't happen. Someone's going to poach him. Someone's going to poach them. Someone's going to come in. Like, you're just going to lose developers sometimes. And if they are the ones that architected everything in the vanilla JavaScript way and didn't write anything down or they just didn't have enough time to, that's it. You're going to have to either restart or reverse engineer what they did. It's a difficult task. I've had to do it before. Again, this is why the, this is why frameworks are being used right now and such a, they're on mass. Like, I don't, I haven't seen a job posting in a while for just regular vanilla JavaScript. There are for sure some. I've heard it. I've heard of it from other people that there's some, there's plenty of people still hiring for vanilla JavaScript because we're probably maintaining older systems and having to focus on very, very, very performant code, right? Like if you can't have any overhead at all, you're, de- you're developing for, you know, the 0.01% of the population or the 2% of the population, whatever it is that just has very low performance on their phones, like third, like emerging markets and stuff like that. Then you start thinking of how do you cut and then you start architecting your own systems in vanilla JavaScript, most likely. But other than those edge cases, and those are very edge cases, there's becoming less and less reason to choose vanilla JS over a JavaScript framework. That's just the reality of the situation right now. Now, there's a, a bunch of other why use a JavaScript framework here. I'll just kind of ramble them off quickly. Um, conditional rendering, if statements in your HTML. So if the data is available, show this block. If it's not available, show this block. All that's really easy to do with a JavaScript framework. Uh, component life cycles. So like, hey, is this component, is this like blog post being rendered yet? Okay, it's not being rendered, then display this. If it is being rendered, then display that. You can hook right into those component life cycles. State management. If you have a very complex application across multiple pages, how do you pass data from one page to another how do you, you know, pass data from your user to the to the pages? So, like, if the user is logged in or not, how is that data um, stored and read? Stuff like that. That that's all given to you in a framework. Uh, obviously, package and library management. We were talking about Webpack, Vit, or Vit. Uh, those are package managers. Those help you with that process with with maintaining your packages, updating your packages. 
and then sharing your packages so you can share one file, one one code structure, and anyone on your team can download the exact same packages. Like there's lock files for that reason. Uh, there's a lot of positives from having a good infrastructure set up in terms of library and package management. Also, the dev server is great because it's usually a live reloading dev server. Anytime you make a change in your code, it detects that change and reloads that section of the code in the browser. So it, it drastically improves live development. Let's just say that. And then obviously integrations with third-party libraries. React is a really big one, right? Like React is a very big framework. So if you're ever looking to integrate with a lot and a lot, a lot of third-party libraries, like you need analytics infrastructure, you need, uh, if you're, if you're an e-commerce, you need like, you know, uh, pay over multiple months infrastructure. You need in- insurance stuff plugged into your, st- your, uh, taxes, all that stuff. You can, you can download libraries for all of that, uh, core functionality of a very complex application. Yes, vanilla JavaScript, there are certain ways you can do it. It's just usually a little bit more ad hoc. So you've got to figure it out a little bit more. Whereas with something like React, there's a very clear pattern to follow to integrate. Um, and yeah, that's really it. Like that's, that's the core reasons to choose a JavaScript framework. There's probably more. I, I don't, I'm not going to say that I've na- named them all. Obviously there's tons. Uh, but if you just go on, honestly, like the best way to do it is go into Svelte documentation or React documentation and go down the list of topics. Those are the things that they've solved that vanilla JavaScript needs to solve custom that you need to solve yourself. I think the thing is too, is that uh, like what you said earlier is that a JavaScript framework is really more fleetable, if you will. What I mean by that is that it's easier to sort of give to a whole bunch of developers uh, in a team, and then you can kind of get a more expected result, which makes a lot of sense. So it's like a, not only is it kind of giving you these components and these really particular modularized pieces of code that help speed, uh, speed things up and, you know, easy data fetching, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's also frameworks are kind of giving you, what would you say? Like frameworks are kind of giving you the convenience and, and, and a way to train even. So, you know, if you're an absolute beginner and you don't know any, any JavaScript framework, you can look up, Hey, you know, I want to work in this company. What are they, what do they use? So they want a React dev. If you learn React, you are going to learn a lot in the same way that they learned, that those developers learned. And they're going to use it more efficiently than you, better than you, be quicker on the, on the draw than you because you're a beginner. And in general, the people that are hired will not be complete beginners, but you're not guessing at how to engineer something like with vanilla with, with like like with vanilla javascript with vanilla javascript you could make your own id system in which you have literally a javascript file that generates id numbers and those id numbers can be decoded by your own decoder and those decoding things make a certain uh css element or css property be applied on a certain element in the dom 
you could do that. You could make it as complex as you want or as easy as you want with obviously the limitations of how complex the actual problem is that you're solving. But with the react, with react and such, that's not really the case. And, and the same goes with jobs for no code tools as well. Largely people are going to use, if you're a WordPress developer, people are going to use, um, you know, a very common slider plugin, a very common custom fields plugin, a very common name it, very common page builder, very common this, very common that. So even if you're in the no code space or the low code space or a hybrid of, of either or you're freelancing and you're building sites in WordPress or what have you, you knowing, say, Elementor, which is a page builder on WordPress, it's almost like it's its own in in terms of concept, not in terms of actuality, but in terms of a concept that's almost like its own JavaScript framework. Again, just in theory, because it, you learn to build pages using their columns, intersections, sections, etc. You know, you understand what the limitations are. You know where to upload stuff. You know what Elementor Pro offers, those type of things. And it, and you are learning Elementor in virtually the same way, or you're at least getting the same skills or very similar skills to someone else who learns Elementor. Whereas if I'm learning vanilla JavaScript, I might be learning a whole bunch about typing and like, what's a, you know, what's a string? What's an integer? How do I add this? Does, does, uh, does vanilla, excuse me, JavaScript care about that? You know, what about classes? What about this? What about algorithms? Like I could get very deep into something, just some concept of vanilla JavaScript and then have so much left on the table that I haven't even touched yet that someone else who spent the same amount of time learning as I did and they just learned conditional statements and loops and they're learning a completely separate thing. Whereas with something like Svelte or whatever, it feels more guided or at the very least, you can kind of go down this laundry list, even in the documentation of you know, React or Vue or whatever. You can go down this laundry list of things that you would learn to do. A, a great example is actually just a, a straight up slider. Um, you know, I, I don't as far as I know, React and them, I don't really use them much. They don't have like a built in slider module, but people would, you know, have the chevrons or the the, the arrows and they would iterate through the images similarly across different projects in React, whereas in JavaScript, it's. Sky's the limit. Am I going through a collection of preloaded images? Am I changing the background, background image of a div? Am I, there's just so many different ways. Am I changing like there's the, when I click the next arrow in the slide, is it changing a number? And then that number has another, there's another listener associated with it. And that number changes the element that's there. Does it change just the asset that's there? Like, what is it doing? There's just more there. Obviously, with these frameworks, there's a lot you can do and there still needs to be engineering and architecting and stuff like that. But in general, when you talk about like the basics, like, hey, I need to add I need to iterate through a number and make literally a number that's on the screen and I'm going to press this plus button and it needs to add one each time to it. You can do that in a variety of ways in in vanilla JavaScript, not too, too many ways because it's pretty basic, but in React or in Vue and stuff, chances are there's like one or two ways and you're probably going to end up doing it in one or two ways. Or or if you do it in one way and there's two ways to do it, you're going to understand the second way to do it. So it's just more of like a bit of a guide into this, which is where which is where the difference, in my opinion, kind of comes from at a high level between vanilla versus framework. 
Yeah, I think as you were talking, I think the word predictability came into my mind where it's like it's a little bit more predictable, the solution that an engineer will come up with in a framework rather than vanilla. Not 100% predictable, but it is more predictable and a little bit easier to read usually because it's not all over the place and it could like literally infinite (laughs) possibilities. It's like a limited amount of possibilities in terms of how something is implemented. Um, But yeah, like so again – Having said all that, obviously, there's still people out there using vanilla JavaScript. It could still do everything, and I mean everything that a JavaScript framework can do. Usually, it just takes a little bit more work. And from the responses that I got, again, on that Twitter post that started this whole conversation, it seems that most people align with my way of thinking at this point, which is that almost regardless of the situation, barring the very edge edge of edge cases, we're going to be choosing a framework. And it's mostly because of all the stuff that I said above, but a lot of it for me, especially right now, and this is where Matt and I will differ, it's familiarity. I've been using frameworks for a long time now for me to spin up a Svelte site, even if it's just a regular static page website that has like five or six pages on it with static content. It's faster for me to develop, to deploy, to monitor, to add analytics to it, to add to, to to do the basic stuff that even a static website needs to do, lowest common denominator website in a framework. It's just faster for me to do it right now. So I, I've already learned all the all the infrastructure stuff. I'm not an I don't want to say I'm not an expert, but like I I could still learn a lot more. Let's just say that. There's still a ton I don't know, but I am very comfortable when I spin up a new Svelte application right now. Whereas Matt, you, and I'll let you kind of explain it, but you've, you've dabbled in, in frameworks at this point, but at this point you, you wouldn't say that you're super comfortable with it, right? No. And, and I don't know whether this stems from like you and I and a bunch of other people will preach, you know, learn vanilla JavaScript first. And I don't know whether this comes from that where, I learned vanilla JavaScript. I haven't really used actually vanilla JavaScript in a while myself, just with the projects I've been on, but I learned vanilla, vanilla JavaScript first. And then I've just been, you know, I want to, I'm rearing to go. It's like, do I go back and start learning something? And I'm just sort of like, no, no, I want to, you know, I want to build stuff. I want to build stuff. And with the, where I am in, in the company kind of thing, it's sort of like I'm kind of a solutions finder, I guess you could say. So, a, a, you know, a client will come to us and, we want a, a business card website or we want a WordPress website or we want this or we want that. Or some people will even say we specifically want Wix or whatever it is. And, and I end up just filling that role and it's less developer, more finding a technical solution for them. And oftentimes to keep the budget in check and whatever, I'm using something that is either, you know, I, I do a little bit of custom JS in there, but it's I'm using either a no code tool or I'm using like a WordPress or something like that with plugins to get the solution done quickly for them and within a budget. Um, so what, what ends up happening, the side effect of this is that I reach for the vanilla tech a lot because I'm familiar with it uh, just as early or just as recent as today when I was learning, I've been learning a little bit of Elementor, which I've been tweeting about. And um, there was a couple of times where I was like, man, I would be able to do this in vanilla CSS and HTML in about five minutes or less. And I'm sitting here screwing around with columns and column widths and trying to get stuff to work in line and 
yeah, there's a custom CSS thing, but like, do I really want to reach for that every time? Like, shouldn't I be using the controls that Elementor give, which I do believe I should be trying to learn the limitations of Elementor and then be able to fill in the blanks with CSS and such. And so it's just, it's, it is frustrating even when learning this page builder, really. And this page builder, I'm learning it because we want to be able to offer this service to clients when they say, I want this site built and I want to need it done really fast. And it's a blog. It's like, okay, well, WordPress and a page builder make a heck of a lot of sense when that's the, when that's the problem at hand. Um, but it, it even just learning that tool, it, the familiarity angle really creeps in where I want to use vanilla CSS. I want to use vanilla JavaScript. And this is what happened too when a number of months ago, maybe even over a year now, I was going to make this little like trucker game where, you know, trucks would drive around and I'd have like a little bit of money management and it was going to be the game that I learned Svelte on. But I can build that. I can build that largely and some stuff I've forgotten or some stuff I haven't learned yet. But I would be able to at least get a lot of it done in vanilla JavaScript with some Googling and stuff, but not starting at square one. With Svelte, I felt like I was at square one and I would be frequently reaching out just doing vanilla JS even in my learnings. And it was really frustrating because it's like I I just want to iterate through a number yeah, it might be more cumbersome with vanilla JavaScript, or I might have to architect a solution depending on whatever the situation calls for. But I know how to do that. I can move forward. Whereas Felt, I'm like looking through the documentation, you know, does Felt do X? Can Felt do this? Or do I need JavaScript right now? I don't know where Svelte begins and JavaScript. I don't know where, where Svelte ends and JavaScript begins. I don't know that stuff. And it's really frustrating to be able to go through. So I feel as though, you know, even though we still preach to sort of bring it back is we still preach that you should learn vanilla JavaScript because it allows you more easily to transfer to between the frameworks, just my personality and where I am in the company. Once again, just lends itself to being like, I have to find a solution now. I can't tell a customer, Oh, you know, I'm learning JavaScript, so I'll be, or I'm learning Svelte. So let's build your project in Svelte, but I don't really know what I'm doing yet. So let me, (laughs) let me like learn this for a few weeks, uh, before I get in there. And sure, I have to learn other stuff like Elementor and stuff. But with those things, I've learned, I've, I've used so many no code tools and tools at this point that I could at least get some progress on them and I would get stuck in certain points, but it wouldn't be completely stuck. Whereas with a framework, I find is, I find that I get completely stuck very frequently where I just don't know where to go next and I just don't know what to do. Yeah, it's super interesting take. Like it's it's a completely different perspective. And I, I think it's really valuable to have said that because I think you're not the only one out there that's in that spot where you're just a solutions engineer almost and you need to get to the solution as quickly as possible. And that's, you, you, you rely on familiarity and simplicity, which is honestly fine. Like what what is, what's my argument against that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I could what I could say that would change it because you're right. Like you don't have two weeks to learn Svelte or a month to learn Svelte. You don't have uh, like you just don't have that luxury um, of like a team teaching you. You don't have the mentorship. Like I could like we could, you know, dedicate a couple months with me mentoring you to learn it. That's true. Like it's totally possible. But there would have to be purpose, like business purpose. There would have to be a case for it. There would have, you know, like we'd have to analyze if it's worth it. And it's just. The reality is, is probably not at this point in time. Whereas with learning 
all the other stuff, like learning no code tools, you have that down, you have that mastered at this point. So you, you kind of rely on them and you rely on vanilla, which is cool. Like, I think that's what I, I really like about web development is there are so many different options to accomplish a very, the same task. And to say that there is no right answer is, I think, understating it almost because everyone will argue from all different sides that their way is the right way. And I disagree with every argument that is made because I don't think you can argue. There is a, there is a place for every type of solution. Absolutely. Even if like, let's say it's a terrible no page, no, no code builder or something like that. You know, like I don't, I don't, I'm not going to name any names because I honestly, I don't know any terrible ones right now, but like, let's say there's a terrible. Ones that are included with cPanel. There's a lot of page builders that, I mean, less now, but there a lot of hosts will just have a, a plethora of software that is in one of the, one of the areas or one of the sections of, of cPanel. And there's just a shite load of, of like page builders and stuff that's just in there. We, we've, we've used a bell page builder. Like I've used a Bell, like Bell, not mobility, but like Bell, the company, the telecom company in Canada. I've used a Bell page builder. There's a lot of page builders out there. Yeah, there's tons and they keep coming out. There's tons of terrible ones, but like there is a justification to be made for using almost any of them because one familiarity, if you have familiarity with it, if you can get a site up quickly and it can perform the task of like having a coming soon page up there and getting people to sign up for our email form. Then you've solved the problem. I'm sorry. Like all the other people that are saying, oh, no, but you could use that Elementor. You can use vanilla JavaScript or you can use React for that. Yeah, absolutely you could. But if you're not versed in those things, then it's not a solution for you at this very moment, depending on the time frame. And again, if it solves the problem, if the page is up and people are able to accomplish the task, that is a solution, a good solution. And that's it. That's the end of that that conversation. Like that, you can't argue against that. Like, and you could. You, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. I was gonna say you could argue in there just to throw some salt in there. You could argue that the no code tools and the WordPresses and the page builders are the frameworks for the people that are just trying to architect solutions as quickly as possible. Sure. Yeah. You could. You could. I mean, they are kind of frameworks, but like you could. You could argue that. And but like again, it's just. There's just so many options. And I think, again, so you, your take on the vanilla JavaScript side of things, let's go back to that, where, go back to the game. A game is a really good example. I don't have that in my list, actually. But a game is somewhere where I could see an argument for not using a JavaScript framework, actually, for myself even. Because a game steps away, like you take you take three steps back from a typical website. It's a very different concept to a typical website. In that way, a framework which is designed to support, you know, the the typical website, so the typical use cases, could actually get in the way of so mis- a, mismatch engineering. Really correct. Yeah. So you could be fighting a framework to establish a good core functionality of a game. I'm not sure about this. I think, honestly, personally, I think I could develop a pretty decent game with felt. The thing is, though, it, is like there are there game engines though. Like, Correct. like you would, you would probably use a game engine and there are games on Svelte. I did look that up before I started, but like there are certainly, there's a reason why, <laughs> you know, you know, what's interesting about this, this whole argument with web development is web development is the only one that I know of, to be clear. There could be others 
the only industry that I know of that has this sort of thing where it's like, you know, I'm a JavaScript dev and I'm going to use this framework and, uh, you know, like that's the main way that we would make sites. And then some JavaScript devs, not all, but some JavaScript devs really don't like the no code side of things or the page builder side of things or those type of tools type of thing. But if you really think about other technical industries, number one thing in my, that popped into my mind was game development. There are people out there that are just artists or just sketch artists or whatever the various artist types that you need because you're making a video game. So it needs to have art and like visual elements. There are people that primarily just work in an engine. They're not coding up the engine and they're not going into C sharp, C plus plus, whatever it is. They're not going into the, the code, the C code and being like, well, I use a C framework. You know, I'm using a different C framework than you are, or I'm using a different, like, it's, it's, it's interesting in that way. Yeah. There's a, at the end of the day, there's a developer somewhere that's making all these art components move around, but you still call the art, uh, creators in this case, you still call these artists developers because they're in the engine, like in the game engine, making, making the tools, painting the, painting the, the tools, doing this and that. They're, they're making the swords and making the guns and making the explosions and making the whatever it is that's in this game. They're making all of that. That's a no code tool. Kind of. It is often. And yeah, someone has to code something at the end of the day to get it to work, but you don't call that person. You don't say that person's not a game dev. It's, it's super, it's super weird that it, it's like, I even will have a, a bit of imposter syndrome as a web dev. I'll have a bit of imposter syndrome because I don't know JavaScript as well as other people do. But at the same time, I'm all over the place and I can architect like a bunch of different solutions, but only a little bit. So it's like a, it's like a really strong, like jack of all trades s- scenario. I was doing a little bit of PHP today. I haven't done PHP in years. I had to do it. I got it done. And then that's it. And I moved on. And then I go back to my like page builder. It's just something that it's, it, it's weird. It's like, it's almost like I'm, I'm having an imposter syndrome of, of like, am I a web developer? Because I don't use these other tools. And like, and there's even almost like a subcategory where people will be like, oh, you're a no coder. or I'm a no coder, a low coder or whatever. I've heard those terms thrown around. It's sort of like, <laughs> I don't call, I don't call the, 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 the graphic artist that made a sword in some medieval video game. I don't call him like, a no code artist or like a non game dev artist or something. It's, 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 it's interesting in web dev that there's, there's so many ways to architect solutions that we haven't just sort of amalgamated into one big, you know what I'm trying to get at? Like, it's just like, instead of being one big title and we all have different skills, it just seems like, at least for me, it's like in a bit of an imposter syndrome. If you don't do the big coding tools that everyone's using. So, I will say, like, I think it's because we're really close inside the web development industry is why you're having, first of all, the imposter syndrome and why you're having the differentiation in your head that you're not a web developer or you think you're not. I think it's because you're in the web development industry. And I think it's the same for a game developer in the game developer industry. There's probably different classifications internally that we don't know about because we're just not, like, plugged into game development as much right so like there's probably game artist or something like that but to us they're game developer 
And it's the same thing for you. Like to anyone outside of the web development industry, you're 100% a web developer. Inside the web development industry, you're a web developer, but you have specializations. It's a good point. Yeah, it's the same thing. Point. Like, but but in outside of the web development industry, all of us are web developers. No code, low code doesn't matter. You're a web developer. You're developing for the web. Uh, and the other point that you made, like just jo- using the stuff that you need when you need it, like the PHP example that you brought up, that's engineering 101 at this point. I think it's super important to have that mindset. That's the mindset that you want. That's the person that you want on your team is not the person that's going to just, you know, single mindedly like be like, I am only going to use JavaScript for this. No matter what the situation is, I will only use JavaScript. I will not use a framework. I won't use anything else. I am a dedicated JavaScript developer, and I will never, you know, step outside my the comfort zone there. There are people out there like that, I'm sure, and there's probably some successful people. Fine, that's fine. But in reality, to accomplish tasks quickly and accomplish tasks in a certain, in, in a way that's extensible and stuff like that, you need to use the best tool for the job at the at the right time, for the right team. Like, there's so many different variables. If your team is really good with React, and you're all of a sudden like, Svelte is great. I love Svelte. But if my team loves React, I'm not using Svelte, no matter how good it is, right? Because it, it, they're going to have to learn it. They're going to have to go in and learn Svelte. That's going to be a ramp up. There would have to be very good business justification to do that. They would have to be, I would just continue to use React for that team. And it's fine because if, as long as they can accomplish all the requirements, it's fine. If my team needs to quickly spin up a little backend server and they need to go into PHP, that's fine too. There's no, like, it's really difficult to put this into perspective right now because there's a lot of arguments to be had from all different sides. Like, there's obviously best practices for everything, right? There's obviously the best way to do something that's going to be the most performant and perfect, right? There is a way to do something really, really well in the web development industry. But a lot of the time, it's almost not worth it to pursue that. Again, caveats. Whatever. Yeah, that's like it feels it almost feels like, uh, you know, using Node, using PHP and then, you know, using, let's say, a JavaScript framework for the UI feels like from my perspective, it feels like real web development. And like, that's just not the case. It's sort of like you're right. If you're close to something, you understand all the ins and outs or at least at a basic level. And as a result, you're going to be, you know, questioning, questioning you know, things and you understand the niches of stuff and you understand what to question and what and generally what's going on. Whereas like for myself, it's sort of or like from somebody that's like outside looking at me, it's sort of like, oh, you know, he works on he works on WordPress. He does this. He does that. Or he works on Wix or he works on Squarespace. They don't care. Like they're not there saying whether, you know, using vanilla JavaScript to, and, and just JavaScript in general in a framework or otherwise is like, quote unquote, real web development and and you know what though is like that sort of disparity is is real in a way because like mike like you and i have seen companies take projects that were on legitimate services like webflow or wherever or a wordpress site they did not have a need meaning they did not have a major increase in traffic they did not have a major issue with the existing website with its features they were not adding any or or very difficult features they weren't adding sometimes they weren't adding any features at all sometimes they were only adding very simple features and they take the entire thing and they go and they make it completely custom 
and it it serves the exact same purpose, but now they have to maintain it, and it's all custom, and it's a and it's a freaking nightmare, and it's sort of like that's actually kind of like a bad solutions architect where maybe they brought someone on that was purely JavaScript dev, and this person says because they're familiar with it, right? All the things we've just talked about, and they'll come in and they'll say. I think you should use this and I think you should use that the same way you and I would, where I would say, maybe you should use Webflow or maybe you should use Elementor. Maybe you should use WordPress. Maybe you should use full custom, but at vanilla level, depending on whatever the solution is. But we've seen companies buy these absolutely extravagant. We've we've actually seen clients pay like $10,000 a month for like a CMS that connects to a CRM and it has all this automation and everything. And then they give you like, they're like, Hey, like we're looking to cut costs. Can you take a look at what, you know, what we use and what we don't use. And you log into their CRM and there's no tickets. There's no information. There's like a test ticket in there, or there's like a ticket in there or like a, a comment in there or like a customer record in there from like four years ago. And you're like, do you use this? And well, no, I, I, you know, I forgot to log in or uh, I, I don't use that or I use this other software or whatever. And it's like, are you aware <laughs> that this entire massive thing that you've purchased needs to be a maintained either by a third party, probably, or by whoever you like told to make it right. If you just went to a freelancer, this needs to be maintained. It needs to be updated, etc. And also if it has a problem and it's going to have to be an engineered fix. Like, are you aware of the overhead you've just given yourself? Not to mention the fact that you're paying all this hosting fee and probably licensing fee for all this software and all its automations and all this and that. And there's been several times where we've gone in and just like cut off a huge part of it. And they're still left with like the bare minimum that we could cut out for them, which is basically usually a C a CMS that they rarely use. It's overly complicated. It has all these endpoints that don't point anywhere now because we've cut it off. And it's like, why the heck wasn't this just done on like a WordPress site? This is, this is getting two, 300 hits a, a week. It could be done on, on shared hosting. They're paying hundreds of dollars for this other, for hosting thousands of dollars in service fee, licensing fees as well. Like this is not a solution that needs to be. Like, this is not the solution for this problem. And we've we've seen this several times. And some companies don't believe us and they will turn us away saying, you know, that's crazy. Like, you, you want to cut all this stuff? We've paid thousands of dollars. You don't use it. You 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 got to you have to use the thing. And if you're going to get something that's fully custom for whatever reason, because you decided that because the developer you hired like decided that. The agency you hired, you know, freelancer, maybe it was an in-house developer. I don't know. But the whole thing is, is if this thing, whatever you make needs to be maintained, if it's WordPress, I would recommend having like a, a WordPress dev around because WordPress is, can be unstable depending on what, what updates you're doing and stuff like that. But if you notice they're not doing the updates, a team of developers per plugin is working on the different updates and then this person's putting them together and it's still a challenge. Like, like you still need a professional there. Imagine not having all those teams, meaning like the team for Elementor and the team for advanced uh, custom fields and the team for 
WordPress itself and all these other things. You don't have those and you just have the one company, one freelancer or one individual that works in your company or one team that works in your company maintaining all of that. The overhead is massive. It's absolutely gargantuan. It's huge. Just for the like, again, from my perspective as an insider, just so that it quote unquote feels like real web development when that's just not like it's just not right. So, custom solutions are needed in some places, but they're not needed in a lot of places. And customers do not care half the time. They want to sell their cups or sell their calendars or sell their couches or whatever the heck they're selling. They want to receive emails from clients. And that's what 90% of people that we've talked to want. And they don't need this massively complex. Uh, Mike and I have had this problem actually before where we've made a custom site for somebody really vanilla, really basic three, four page site, probably three. And years later, the person contacts us and says, where's the login? And I say, sorry, there is no login. You didn't buy a CMS. There's no login. It's all custom. And then they end up being like, "Uh oh, and then they end up leaving. They ditch, they ditch your site that you made. They spin something up on Squarespace or Wix and they just, just use that. And that's it. And usually you have to help them migrate the name servers or whatever. And that's it. That's what, like, we've had that happen once or twice to us. And you, and it's made us realize, hang on a minute. You know, we made this full custom site because custom felt like it was the right thing to do, but it doesn't make sense to them. To them, it's like, Hey, I, I want to update this image. It's like, Oh, you have to call us every time you want to update an image. It's like, I have to call you every time I update an image when it's an image that I update every year or every day or every week. Like, isn't that crazy? So it's, it's almost like an argument. If you bring it back to the episode, it's like vanilla versus no, like vanilla JavaScript versus having a framework versus having anything else like a no code tool or whatever. It's really a battle of over engineering, you know, engineer to what your problem is and engineer the solution to that problem. Don't over engineer it and don't, in my opinion, let sort of your own, you know, imposter syndrome or even the, the work culture influence it. If you can, there's realities that we all need to, um, there's realities that we all need to respect. Like Mike said, where he likes felt and the team likes react. So he's going to use react or vice versa. Um, you know, there's realities like that, that we need to respect. But, you know, if, if the team was like, let's dump all of this and let's go and get a uh, new, new CMS that costs $60,000 a year when this one costs five, it's like, hang on a second. What are we doing that for? And we've seen companies do it where they just go for this. Like, it's like, oh, that one's expensive. We'll go for that. It's like, hang on, <laughs> hang on a second here. You're worried about it. You know, two, three hundred dollars for a graphic designer and you're going to blast off into buying some expensive software that's eight thousand dollars a month. Like, what are you doing? So it's like at the end of the day, my like it's almost like a closing argument is like my overall idea with this is like, why use a JavaScript framework? Why not use it? Why use no code? Why? Use, I don't care. I'm going to try to engineer the best that I can toward the solution to make it like a minimalist, uh, as minimalist as possible. I'm not going to have a, a huge email system if there doesn't need to be one. If there might be one, I'm going to have something that can have an email system added on, for example. And that's sort of where, where I'm at. And of course, we're going to have different biases based on our familiarity. Like I'm going to, 
I'm going to go for vanilla, vanilla JavaScript over a framework when a framework might be better. But it's just in, in the interest of engineering the solution. And this is largely why people will interview multiple developers for a job to get quotes because every single one of those people will have a slightly different solution to the problem. Yeah, I think it, I think that's the, a good ending to this is like familiarity is a great resource to use for yourself, but it's also not the be all end all. And I think the, like the reason that those over engineered solutions happened is a lot to do with familiarity and relationships. So sometimes like if, if they've gone to a $10,000 a month CRM solution, right? When they could have done it easily with WordPress. The reason for that is most likely the person, the tech guy that they brought on or someone in, in the marketing department or something has worked with that company before. They've had decent experience and they're going to go with that company again. That's not necessarily the best route every single time. And same with frameworks, right? Like even questioning myself. The reason that I would use Svelte is because of familiarity, obviously, but it's also because it does fit into almost any situation. I, I questioned it with the gaming because in gaming, there are certain things that are very custom that could actually be bad with a framework. And that's what you have to do with every project that you get. You have to question it, question your familiarity, question your biases, obviously lean towards them because whatever does the job fastest and best for you is the solution. Like Matt's saying, the solutions architecting here. But it is really important to question them as well every time and in every project. And even again, my, my blanket statement of, Hey, all, all my developers are good with React. So I'm going to use React. I would question that sometimes. If the, if the project, like there's not a big enough difference in my opinion between React and Svelte that it does warrant a complete migration for a site. When you're rebuilding a site, maybe you can have that conversation, but a migration just for the sake of migrating from a framework to a framework, there's very, very limited business case that that would happen. That's why that example kind of works. But in terms of like, let's say your team is really good with this $10,000 CRM, but you know it doesn't fit the project because it's just way too expensive and over-engineered, that's a situation where you have to question that that uh, familiarity and and you have to maybe put your team in a position where they're stepping outside of their comfort zone and some people won't want to do that and that's a, that's a kind of a sacrifice you have to make it's difficult the the tech industry is a difficult one to be in for this exact reason because there's so many different ways to craft a solution and finding the best way to do it is almost impossible but you have to at least try <laughs> That's the key. Like you have to at least make a, a, an attempted effort and that will usually get you enough of the way there. That's one thing to consider as well, actually, just as a really brief note, is that one of the like I mentioned things that you have to be realistic with, like you mentioned the different team preferences and what they're already working on. And you don't want to like switch them to another framework for no for no good reason, effectively. One thing, you know, to consider is whatever tool you use as well. If you're planning on using a no code tool for a while and you and you want to be able to extend it, oftentimes you almost have to extend it with vanilla JavaScript because it'll they'll have like a little custom code block or custom code area. You can put your stuff in there and you're not going to be importing a bunch of stuff and everything else and declaring stuff just so that it works. You know, it's way quicker to just 
have a little bit of cu- little bit of vanilla JS in their little custom, you know, text area where you can fill that in and then it changes the look of something really quick type of thing. So it's it that's like another thing to be realistic about and like realize like, hey, you know, maybe you're not a fan of vanilla JavaScript, but if you're going to start using these no code tools to spit up solutions quickly. I find that vanilla JavaScript works best with them. I think uh, I think we're good to go with wrapping it up. Yeah, I think that it was a uh, another good episode. Um, uh, we're experimenting with more, and I've said this before. We're experimenting with more uh, conversational topics. So, like, obviously, Mike and I had a bit of a back and forth here. Uh, we have some episodes with like questions where we like straight up almost interview each other, and other ones like this. So, if you have any feedback on these episodes, whether you like them uh, better than just the sort of lecture episodes, do you like a hybrid of like lecture plus discussion? Uh, please let us know. You can contact us uh, via any of the socials or you can go to htmlthings.com. There's a contact page there and there's a contact form or an email just there as well. You can contact us there as well. But it is time to end. So many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Forward from dlforward.io. Bip Hash Dash from Nine Block Media on nineblockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. And Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off you've been listening to html all the things podcast web development web design and small business we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings and we hope you had some fun we'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on social media on facebook instagram and patreon at html all the things and on twitter at html everything until next time this is html all the things signing off.